Hi, Second Story fans. Before we start today, I'd like to ask you for a favor. After you enjoyed today's story, please find our podcast page on the iTunes website. You can easily do so by just Googling the words iTunes and Second Story. Once you're there, please rate us. Five stars would be ideal. And leave a nice comment. The indentured little gnomes that are turning the cranks of the iTunes ranking algorithm will see those stars and bring greater visibility to our work. We'd really appreciate it. Thank you. This, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast. Happy New Year from the Second Story Podcast. I hope your resolutions are going great. Don't let that cynical part of you whittle them away. It'll spend a lot of time trying to neatly package you to fit you into predestined molds and deny any hope of change or escaping your identity. I guess there's some comfort in staying the same. Today we bring you a story of someone who gives up a whole lot of comfort to pursue self-determination and joy. Recorded live at the main stage on September 24th, 2015, Second Story presents I'm Etienne. I'm cleaning the remnants of makeup and tears off my face when my father accuses me of hating my parents. That's why you don't want to live in Colorado. That's why you don't want to come home and study here and be a doctor. It's almost 1 a.m. We are three hours into this phone call, and I am tired not just because of this conversation, but because this was Pride weekend, my eighth Pride, my third as an out queer woman, well, out to everyone but my immediate family, and my first Dyke March. Dyke March is more low-key than the parade, no floats or gigantic balloon displays, just women and allies marching through the streets, chanting about social justice and celebrating. After the march, I spotted an angry Asian dyke sign propped against a tree in Humboldt Park. With queer women as far as the eye could see, the sense of community was overwhelming. The rest of the weekend was a blur of rainbows, undercuts, and dancing at Backlot Bash, an outdoor queer woman party. And now, it's Sunday night. I'm exhausted and I'm on the phone responding to my parents' third in a series of increasingly angry voicemails. Hour three of this call, and the joy of the weekend is almost gone. My shoulders slump against the wall, and I let the sound of the red line rushing by my apartment settle me. I'm too tired to lie. I'm not comfortable in Denver. Dad, it doesn't feel like I can be honest there. What do you mean? I think of the mantra I've been holding on to. You can't lose in a fight about your own happiness. You can't lose in a fight about your own life. So I say it. Dad, I date women and I date men. The train rumbles by. You hate men and women? I don't understand what that has to do with. <laughs> no, no, I date men and I date women. The call drops. And I remind myself of a conversation I had six months before, sitting on the eighth floor of one of Columbia College's buildings. 
Instead of discussing how to integrate writing and the arts into my very scientific life, I was explaining to Megan, my professor, how to be a bad Asian daughter. <laughs> Three major ways to be a bad Asian daughter. One, be queer and out. Two, get a tattoo. Three, give up a career in medicine. I was two for three, well, one and a half, tattooed queer, but not out to my immediate family. And I desperately needed Megan to tell me how I could have a career as a writer and an artist and still salvage my good Asian daughter status. I needed to balance my own well-being and the respect my parents deserved. To be clear, before this conversation with Megan, before the breakup, I had already planned to come out by bringing Liv, my girlfriend who was busy committing polite Vietnamese phrases to memory, to my parents for Christmas. Because what are the holidays if not an opportunity for awkward shock silences and raising my mother's blood pressure? But Liv and I weren't together anymore, and now I had to work the holidays and wouldn't be flying to Denver. My mother is the oldest of 11, 10 girls and one boy. Eight of her sisters live in Colorado, along with my grandparents and an ever-growing brood of cousins bookended by my 39-year-old brother and my two-month-old cousin. Between the four generations running around the home, there's enough drama for several seasons of a terrible reality TV show. <laughs> well, only if the American public is willing to read subtitles. <laughs> All the children in my generation were expected to achieve. We needed to become doctors, lawyers, pharmacists, engineers, professions that would honor the sacrifices our parents made when they fled communist Vietnam the years in government housing, the 18-hour workdays. I then explained to Megan the hierarchy of good Asian daughterhood. At the top, straight doctor, followed by a straight pharmacist or dentist, which was about level with a queer doctor, straight engineer here, straight lawyer much lower, and the queer tattoo artist that I was becoming, equivalent to a criminal. Being a queer doctor would end up with my disowning. But I had a chance of being welcomed back if I put on that white coat. Medicine was my compromise. Megan pulled me away from my spiraling thoughts. What are the things you need to be happy in your job? What are your deal breakers? financial stability, the opportunity for community engagement I believed in, time to write. I can fit it in, I said. I'll write after I finish my MD and my PhD and my residency. I'll find the time. Who needs sleep? But how would I? So much of my time was already spent dreading the very idea of being a doctor Every day, I pushed back the lump in my throat and ignored a churning in my stomach and the tension in my shoulders. Megan told me, you can't lose in a fight that's about your own life. You can't lose when it's about your own happiness. She was right.
I couldn't lose in this fight, but there was more than one, more than one way I could shatter my parents' image of me. And I wasn't brave enough to do both at once, not without Liv. Being queer would be harder to explain without a flesh and blood woman at my side. So the doctor battle first. I realized that December, I was committing. I was going to be a bad Asian daughter. <laughs> After that conversation with Megan, the first time I spoke to my parents was New Year's Day. It slipped out. I didn't really have it planned. I can be dramatic, but I didn't have it planned. Mom, I have something to tell you. I don't want to be a doctor. Silence on the line, nothing for 30 seconds. Your father needs to come to the phone. In the seconds before my father arrived and the first of many hours of yelling and guilt trips began, I felt this wave of relief wash over me. For the next several months, my parents tag-teamed one another in having discussions with me about my future and my lost potential. But I was feeling gleeful and free, ready to shed my research job as soon as my contract ended. I rode that wave of joy all the way to Pride Month, to this conversation about my sexuality with my father. I redial. Dad? You date men and you date women? Yeah. We've talked about a lot of things today. Let's talk tomorrow night. <laughs> Click. <laughs> the next night, my father starts out so well. You were always so independent and strong as a child. <laughs> then it goes south. Maybe you want to date women because you need someone to take care of. Why do you even think you're interested in women? Probably for some of the same reasons you are, Dad. <laughs> he fervently wants me to go to therapy, but he promises that if I'm sure, it's okay because I'm his daughter and he loves me no matter what. I'm elated, even if he doesn't want to tell my mother yet, because I've never expected my Republican father to make that much progress in one conversation. You can't lose in a fight about your own happiness. Maybe it's more than not giving up. Maybe winning is inevitable. Fast forward six months after that call. It's the day after Christmas, and my mother is driving me to the airport to fly home to Chicago. I'm replaying last night's conversation where my father instructed me not to come out to my mother because he believed it would hurt her more than it would help me. A woman sings about loving another woman on the radio, and I segue into a discussion about the separation between gender presentation and sexuality. I hate women, Mom. I wear dresses. It doesn't matter. The silence is longer than when I told her I wasn't going to be a doctor. She moves to the express lane. You said you date women? Yes. 
We're not looking at each other. We're staring at the cars around us, at the dashboard, at anything but me biting my lips and her furrowed brow. She turns off the radio. My mother spends the next 35 minutes hitting every cliche in the book. I'm confused. It's a phase. Chicago is a city of sin. <laughs> Predatory lesbians. I haven't met the right man. I'm seeking attention. None of them are sticking, so she switches up her tactics, delivering a combination of insults, skin thumb, threats, your father would die if he knew, and irrational explanations. You're so desperate for friends and partners that you think this will make it easier. Clearly, she's never actually tried to date women. I don't blame her. This is a surprise for her. It's a shock, another in a year of unsettling news from my lips. Another check mark in that bad Asian daughter list. She pulls up in front of the terminal entrance. I'm brushing the tears away and telling her that I can answer any questions when she's ready. She doesn't even let me finish before she tells me that I'm not her daughter anymore. It's expected, but that doesn't make the whiskey on the plane go down any smoother. Two months later, the same day I get an offer for a job that will finally allow me to completely escape medicine, my father reverses his opinion and joins her. I may have lost my mother temporarily or permanently, who knows. I may have lost my father too. I've definitely lost any chance of being a good Asian daughter. But this summer, I got to walk home holding hands with the woman I had fallen in love with. I got to share a bottle of wine and debate and sigh over the L words Bet and Carmen before watching Orange is the New Black. I got to trade lazy kisses with her until she remembered that I was supposed to be writing and she teasingly banned me from her lips until I finished a draft. Now, I get to be honest. I get to love. I get to love not just the people around me, but I get to love what I do. I get to write. You can't lose in a fight about your own happiness. You can't lose in a fight about your own life. Imi's story was curated by Megan Shuckman and Rashmi Hazra Rustabaki. Rashmi also directed. Mike Prisgoda and the Prismatics Design Sound. In podcast news, we are going to publish a new episode of this show every other Monday until the end of days. After that, you'll see me orbiting Mars, floating in the most peculiar way. Second Story is supported in part by the Chicago Community Trust, the MacArthur Funds for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Treehouse Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, a City Arts Grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, the Arts and Business Council of Chicago, 
the Arts Work Fund for organizational development, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Nick Kawahara, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.